at 91-91 change. Like, okay. I, I, just seeing the crowd. Just seeing the crowd get up and make big Lakers chance. They kind of just made me mad. So uh, do what I had to do to try to get a win for us. And that was the hero of the game. No, not me asking John Wall the question. John Wall answering the question about how he went into not just all-star mode. He went to MVP mode in the fourth quarter after the Lakers rallied to tie the, tie the game. John Wall took over. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about the crowd that he referenced. And we'll talk about some other key aspects of the game here on the Locked on Wizards podcast. Ben standing here along with Todd Dibus from the Washington Times. You can find all of our podcasts on iTunes or Audio Boom. Uh, I, I still would say go back and check the one we did a couple days ago with Jeff Zilgit from USA Today. I thought it was a pretty good discussion and overview of what remains the hottest team in the Eastern Conference as the Wizards continue to do their thing. Todd, um, 116-108. The Wizards had this thing on lockdown, it seems, until they didn't. Yeah. Because the Lakers jumped on them in a fourth to start the fourth quarter with a twelve to one run, and then John Wall said, "Nope, not gonna happen." He scores Washington's next eight points. He had sixteen of his thirty three in the fourth. He did what I, I, I phrased the question to Marching Gortat about John Wall. I said, "Some players are all stars, but not all all star players can take over a game the way John did." And to me, that's one of the another one of those signs as to how this this guy's game has evolved. He even said himself about somebody said Nick Young called you a closer, which is high praise, obviously. That was odd. Yeah, of all the people. But John, this is what I like about John. He said, yeah, it's taken a while. He right. he acknowledges his own flaws he at He kind time. of snickered at himself. Yeah. yeah. And, and anyway, but he did that tonight, yeah. took, uh, took over late, and the Wizards, 16 straight home wins. It's true. <laughs> and I, I didn't know you were done. Yes, 16 straight at home. It, it's weird when you play these teams that are already lottery bound in, in January and they're loaded with young guys and then and, and probably a couple guys who are in search of an actual multi-year contract maybe for their first time in their fledgling NBA careers. So, you know, they have zero to lose. They can play loose, which can lead to them being wild and kind of inconsistent, and we saw that in the first half, 15 first-half turnovers for the Lakers. But eventually they started making shots. Um, I thought much of this rested with the Wizards putting on their kind of their cool jacket, as we've seen them do at times, and thinking that another team is just going to go away just because and getting away from what they were doing well and all those things. Plus we saw um, a, a major reverting from the bench uh, for a spell at the start of the fourth quarter. That was just a hot mess all around, um, which let the Lakers back in the game. But as you said, back comes John Wall, back comes Bradley Beal, back comes Gortat, and the starters pulled it out of the fire to keep the streak going. One thing that was – I mean, we've seen John Wall take over at times, but one thing that was different about this takeover, he was doing it with the jumper. In that stretch where he scored the eight straight points – for Washington, he had two three-pointers. He had a layup in there as well. But then later, when the Lakers still were hanging in there, he made a couple of mid-range jumpers to keep fending them off. Uh, you know, you look, you still want John Wall to attack, obviously. But, you know, if he can, if he's making that shot, you know, I don't want to say he's unguardable because that's what – but, you know, but it's getting close. Yeah, he joked that um, 
Lakers coach Luke Walton was smiling at him when he was making those jumpers because they're the same shots that they gave him in the first half, but he wasn't making them, but he made them down the stretch. So that's what quote-unquote closers do. It's interesting since we discussed this earlier in the season in a more general sense of who should be taking the final shots when they're most important on this team. And, um, you know, there are a variety of arguments. Some people argue flatly it should be Bradley Beal. Other people argue best shot available, which the way they've been playing certainly makes even more sense now. Um, I don't think anyone was stumping for John Wall mid-range uh, <laughs> at the time. No, I don't think so. <laughs> but uh, he's been taking it and, and making it. So we'll see how long that lasts and, and, and see what, what else they – at some point they're going to have to find some other solutions at the end of games. Before we get on to the other two topics I want to talk about, so – Let's just say hypothetically, like John Wall's been an all-star since his fourth year in a row. But like I said a minute ago, there's a difference between being an all-star and, as he said, a closer. And as Scott Brooks mentioned, he thinks that John should be on an all-NBA team, which, you know, is a way larger recognition than the all-star game. And that's sort of what I was getting at. Like, okay, is it even for myself, I'm watching to say, okay, like he's been a very good player, but there is that next level. And even in the playoffs, he's had big moments, but... Again, fourth quarter, late game situations, like whenever I get these arguments with you or anybody else about how good is player X, Y, or Z, a lot of what goes on from my head is, give me crunch time. What does this guy do when the, when the F hits the fan in the fourth quarter, in the last two minutes, what happens? Oh, S hits the fan. <laughs> I was going to say something else. With and your it, propensity for swearing on this podcast, you should be able to have your <laughs> swear words <laughs> down pat, please. Uh, Lordy. Okay, so, uh, but 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 he, I mean, he's got a willingness to do it. He's always had that. That isn't always enough. Now you actually have to make the plays. You know, this wasn't the last two minutes of the game when he took over, but he made plays throughout the fourth quarter. But anyway, in terms of the East, let's just look at the very top. Okay, Cleveland's got LeBron and Kyrie. I think they're good. Yes. But then when you look at with, 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 with Toronto, with, say, Kyle Lowry, Boston with Isaiah Thomas, who's obviously nuts in the fourth quarter. Let's just say Atlanta with Paul Millsap. I mean, I feel like with Wall, the way he's been going this year, the the Wizards outside of the Cleveland series may have the best player on the court in the fourth quarter of all these. In any, in, if those are the matchups, the Wizards might have the best player in the fourth quarter, not just because he's the best player, but also in the fourth quarter, he may be the best player of those guys in the fourth quarter. Or at least now, it's more of a conversation than I think maybe it was in the last couple of years. Yeah, and I think another part of this equation is also him making free throws late in the fourth quarter, which um, he has been better at lately too. And uh, even in the past, that's another thing that he's kind of rolled his eyes at himself about making statements like, yeah, I finally made some free throws. So further maturation from what was already the team's best player can only be extremely beneficial for the we'll have to say it again for the hottest team in the league right now i I don't think that's very debatable yeah no absolutely i mean so so wall went eight for ten from the free throw line by the way he also had 11 assists i think that's double double number 29 on the year as for the wizards that's now 23 and 9 since december 1st that's the best record in the eastern conference and what is it 13 of their last 15 total yeah I mean, it's still crazy. So it's nine in a row for the Heat of all people. Is that right? Yeah, the Heat have won nine yeah. in a row. Yeah, and they're not. Yeah, to go to move to ten games under, uh, they have won nine 
consecutive games. Nine and one in their last ten. Warriors are nine and one in their last ten, but the longest winning streak in the Western Conference at this moment is the Warriors winning streak of four games. So longest winning streak in the league is nine in a row for the Miami Heat. Five in a row for the Celtics. I'm sorry, six in a row for the Wizards and five in a row for the Celtics. Uh craziness. Crazy times we live in. But you wouldn't know it if you were sitting in Verizon Center when it was 91-91 this evening. Nice, yeah, nice transition. That's what we want to talk about next year on the Lockdown Wizards podcast. The crowd, look, they haven't had tons of sellouts or any sellouts, I don't think, actually, during this winning streak. And, no. you know, as I was saying to you and have said to others, what I think you have to look at the Washington fan base as like this big cruise liner. You can't make quick turns. They get in a direction, and that's the way it's going to go. Until it doesn't, but it's not going to be like all of a sudden. It's not going to be. It's not a walk-up crowd. I guess would be sort of my point. Well, I don't know whether these Lakers fans walked up. They bought these tickets months ago. Some of them maybe think Kobe's still playing. I don't know what <laughs> they were wearing his jersey. They definitely were wearing his jersey. But in the fourth quarter, when this thing got tight again, it was a ninety seventy nine game going into the fourth, and then they tied at ninety one. It wasn't just like, oh, hey, there's some fans cheering. It was loud. Hardy. I thought like Motley Crue was playing here or something all of a sudden. It got like super loud, which, as John pointed out, ended up fueling him. And maybe on some level was to the Lakers' detriment. I don't know if that's really the case. But in any event, it was it was loud. It was the first time in a while. Like the Knicks were just here, another team that's got a big fan base. And there were some fans, but I mean, and the Wizards didn't let the Knicks get back in, so right. maybe that was part of it. But it wasn't like that. But this was the first time in a while where we, at first beginning of the year, we talked about it a lot. Crowd, where's the crowd? How can we have the team? This is the first one in a while, but oof, it was, uh, yes. it was a problem. It, it, yeah, so Bradley Beal was asked in general terms about the noise from Lakers fans, and he said, "I'm sick of that too. That's terrible. I thought we were on the road today." That, that's in the game where they won the 16th consecutive home game, which is the second longest streak in organization history. So we, we talked about this kind of at the time as we were all looking around and listening to this in the middle of the game. And there are some reasonable caveats to this, right? One, if er, before the season starts, if you're a Wizards season ticket holder, you look at the Lakers and you're like, that's a game I'm going to resell my tickets. It's one of the few times you could get a bump on your ticket, right? Right. Because nobody knows what's going to be happening in late Jan- or I'm sorry, early February when they come to town. No one knew that the Wizards are going to be on this win streak, etc. My gripe is the lack of walk-up crowd. The lack of, hey, did you hear this team's playing really well and they're at Verizon Center tonight. Oh, it's the Lakers. That'll be fun. Let's go over there for, you know, considering the crowd, the tickets on StubHub have to still be totally reasonable or whatever other ticket reseller. So the the lack of local walk-up crowd to me is, is uh, a troubling sign. And if I was a player, I don't think I'd be able to hold my tongue as well as the Wizards. Many of the Wizards players have, uh, not only this year, but this is my third season. So even when they were going to the playoffs two years ago, the crowds were poor um, and, they, and the players were congenial about it but again they entered tonight 27th um in uh 27th in attendance and in, in percentage capacity filled in the league 27th out of 30 teams they're like four and a half percent behind milwaukee so based on the amount of games they've already played 
that Milwaukee is in, very enjoyable to watch, certainly at home. Um, that I, I don't see them moving out of that spot. So they're going to have this tremendous home record probably by the end of the season and be 27th in the league in percentage of seats filled in their building. Not, not, to, uh, not to belabor the point, but when you look at how this organization is, the, the Wizards end, ended last season – while they were at 500, it was considered a down year because they were coming off two good seasons. And then you had the Bradley Beal, John Wall, they don't like each other talk. Then you had what a lot of people, myself included, what didn't think was a great offseason in terms of moves. And, 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 you know, they couldn't even get the Kevin Durant meeting, all these kinds of things. So it immediately cast the negative light. Then they go two and eight on top of it. So even if you were to hope for a quick start to change things around, that couldn't have happened. Um, then on top of it, People just assume the worst always. This is partly why I went on a Twitter rant today, m- mocking this bandwagon. It's starting to happen in terms of attention and coverage. Um, you know, we, we talk about this all the time. We're here every game. We're here for a bunch of practices. So are The Post, CSN, whatever. But TVs, other than that, never here. The, the national media rarely here. If they are here, they're here for the other team, that type of thing. Yes. But that's starting to change. But my point would be, I know way too many people who are like, who just now, knowing what I do for a living, just now are saying, oh, the Wizards, looks like they're winning. Are they any good? Because they're not paying attention because the perception is, eh, who cares? They stink. This is what they'll be at best. And, and you know, they're on a, an insane run right now. We'll see where they finish the year. They haven't been over 46 wins in a bit. Um, you know, who, who knows? You know, we're going to get to the bench in a second, which is still the concern. But anyway, I just think that, like, only now is the coverage starting to catch up. Like Dan, our friend Dan Steinberg has been out here now, what, like two days in a row or two of the, last, the two straight games kind of days. That's great. He gets a lot of, he gives every team he covers a lot of attention. He wasn't here for the previous couple months and he was busy with the Redskins and all that stuff. But like, it's that type of thing. Now people like him are going to start coming around. I'm going to bet the attention will turn. But like I said, it's a big cruise liner. It's headed in a direction. The direction for this team is Grunfeld's here. They stink. We don't care. And now, slightly, we're like, oh, wait, what's going on? They're actually where in the standings? So we'll see. Yeah, my only comment on that is it's February 2nd. This has been going on for two months. It's not a good excuse. What's February 15th? Is that Valentine's Day? No, that's the 14th. Oh, I guess it shows you what my dating is. I was going to say, yes, that's a totally (laughs) irrelevant day to us. But February 15th is a day that's relevant to us. Why? Is that the uh, All-Star break? I don't know. I'm, I'm too Franchise old. tag. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. I February 28th is what? That'll be discussed in the Locked on Wizards, our Locked on Redskins podcast. Uh, February 28th. I'm going to guess it's the start of free agency, NFL free agency. NFL combine opens. Oh, and then free agency comes after that. Then free agency. So guess what? This is their December to now was their window, and all they did was win every home game. And still, here we are talking about this stuff, and in two weeks – Maybe less. Their window in the local media news cycle is going to evaporate. But I mean, in, and I, and I'm not making excuses. You're totally right. The first part of the streak, they were just getting back to 500. Yes, correct. So they were, That's and right. then they opened 2017, lose the first two games. So here they go. So it even took about four, five games in once they got past 500 for even me to be going, oh, hey, this isn't just they didn't just win, get over 500. Now they're going backwards. Right. It was a thing. So if 
I, somebody who's covering this team on a daily basis, took me a minute to be like, oh, this is a thing, then I get the person who's and that's, half paying that's, attention. That's all fair, and that's all 100% fair, but that runs me up to tonight. And by this point, all right. it's not just getting over 500. It's not just this. It's people still didn't come. Oh, they were just on TNT, yeah. um, all that. I'm with you. It'll be interesting to see. Obviously, they have the Pelicans next on Saturday. Then here comes Cleveland and, and, and LeBron. I mean, at that point, we may be talking about – I don't think they can catch second place. I don't think they can catch Boston for second. But we could be looking at the first and third team in the Eastern Conference possibly on Monday. Obviously, there's going to be – see, here's my thing. Obviously, a ton of people bought tickets to come see LeBron. But it will be interesting to see where's the crowd for that game if the Wizards at that point are 29 and 20 riding a 17 game home winning streak. Our friend HTK pointed this out to me. Yeah. So I will give him his, his, his just due. Let me see if I can confirm it. So we're at 16 now, 17. Okay. So the, this is the second longest win streak in franchise history. The right. longest win streak in franchise history is 22 games. That happened in 74, 75. Right. So if they <laughs> – I'm not at all saying this is going to happen. But if they keep trucking to tie that 22-game win streak, guess who they're playing? I'm going to go Golden State. Correct. That would be against the Warriors on NBA TV to match the longest home winning streak in franchise history – on February 28th, after the All-Star break. Well, I'm not selling my press pass for that one. I, <laughs> there, I will be here for that game. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it just... It, the odds of that are extremely low, so please don't misinterpret what I'm saying. It, it's just fun to look down the road, and that was a good, uh, good notice by HTK, who, who loves his... Loves his stats and tracking and not doing his schoolwork, instead playing sports writer. Poor HGK. He did get retweeted by a national sports writer tonight, so I think that made his He week. did. He gave a little flamethrower to that national sports writer. He gave him a little bit of the HTK Oh, you don't, want, you don't want that. That's gonna, that, that had to sting. Yes. Uh, all right, a couple quick things before we get out of here. So the Lakers had that run to start the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. The start of the fourth quarter is when the Wizards go with Markeith Morris and four reserves. Now, the the... Concerns about the bench are nothing new, but again, for the most part during this streak, they've been at least capable, and Morris has played well. And even in the first, in the second quarter, I think they helped extend the the lead. But in the four in the fourth quarter, the Lakers. It wasn't just that the Lakers came back. I sort of said it looked like one of those NCAA tournament games where the 16 seed is playing number one Duke. And they just look like they can't get the ball over half court. I mean, the Wizards are struggling to get in any sets, turning the ball over constantly, and the starters had to yep. come back in and finish it off. And it goes back to, and it also ties in with the update with Scott Brooks today from Jan Mahimi, who today went through some some drills. He did a 5-on-0 drill, a one-on-one, so really no, essentially no contact for the most part. Said, maybe, I would like to see the one-on-one, like saying you're playing one-on-one. There are so many different levels of one-on-one right. that one can go through. Right. Um, I would have liked to have seen what level of one-on-one was occurring there and who his opposition was. Right, I was going to tell you, there's not tons of guys in, the, in their staff. There's one guy who's kind of tall, but for the most yes, part, yes. they're guys who are about my height, uh, and I'm not that tall. Uh, so, Brooks said, if all goes well, Mahimi could start practicing by the end of this week, and... 
I guess there's some indication that they think he could start playing before the All-Star break, which is now they've got, what, I think six games left uh, to go. Now, February 16th is their last game before the All-Star break. So we'll move back to – we'll move past the point of he's yeah, – even, Bro- even Brooks said we've got to see about conditioning and all these things, so we'll see. But my point is when you look at the bench tonight – combined with the uncertainty of Mahinmi. I mean, we talked the other day about what, if anything, do they need to do now. I mean, there hasn't been any denying it. They still need to do something. Right. But in a game like this is a big reminder. They definitely need to do something. Yeah, and, and the credit, once again, credit one of our uh, compatriots here. Jay Michael mentioned during the game that he, you know, he feels like they need to see Mahimi before the break so they can figure out what exactly they have before they look at trades. Um, are they going to be able to get him on the floor? Is he going to be able to stay on the floor? So obviously it's it's a step-by-step. Get him in practice. Get him in a legit practice. Not just – don't tell me he participated in shoot-around, you know. <laughs> and so they he has a long ways to go for – it is February 2nd. They finished February 16th in Indiana. So that's a two-week window to get him some minutes in a real NBA game. A guy who is not facing five-on-five defenders even in practice yet, let alone NBA level. Which is why, and I totally think that point that J. Michael makes is a good one, but I'm saying from a realistic standpoint, he hasn't practiced yet. Right. So I would assume on some level, I'm always surprised sometimes some guys come back quicker than others, but if he practices, so the Wizards are practicing Friday, they have a game Saturday. Yep. I mean, we're already at the end of the week. I'm saying maybe by the end of the week, we're at the end of the week. Right. So let's just say for argument's sake, he doesn't do much of anything the next two days, but practices ahead of Cleveland. And then we get to those last three games. What is it? Indiana, Oklahoma City, Indiana, something like that. Yes. Okay. So so let's just say hypothetically they think he might be ready to get in there for all three of those games or two of those games. What are we going to see? He's con- I don't I don't know what his conditioning is. What's he going to play? 5 minutes? He's going to have to minutes? up his conditioning and lower his rust. So that's what they're going to have to determine but I guess they my, have in hand. But how much uh, of that how much could you think we're going to be they'll be able to tell? Right. No, that's right. That's the problem. I'm saying the, so, the sample they're going to be working off of at this point with two weeks until the All-Star break, is going to be an extremely limited sample to make some major decisions. And and this isn't a situation like where Nene would miss lots of time. He was coming back to a situation he already knew. Yes. Mahimi has literally played 14 minutes with these guys. And, you know, I don't know. And the last time he came back, he went way in reverse after coming back. Right. So, yeah, I don't know. So I, I, I get the idea that they need to see what he's at. I'm just, yeah, I'm just saying if that... If if that's the scenario, I just don't know what they're going to get. So I guess my point is, whatever they think they need to do, I think... They do it independent, and if he's back, he's back. Kind of. I mean, look, if Mahimi is back, what I think they need the most at this point is some sort of guard, whether it's a backup point guard... Like, I, I mean, I don't know, maybe he's not an NBA player, but like I look at a guy like Bronte Weber, who's killing it in the D-League, he's an absolute defensive pest... He's not a great scorer, but if you put him as the backup point guard to and have he's you put him on whoever the you know Kyle Lowry for a few minutes, not saying Kyle Lowry would get his stuff, but I think he'd be annoyed as hell. Right. 
that kind of guy, or they need another shooter because you know when games where Ubre is off, they don't have really anybody off the bench who's making tons of shots. Um, those are the two things I think they need the most. You have to at this point kind of assume Ubre's he is what he is. He's in the rotation. Jason Smith, if he's the fourth big man, he's in the rotation. Sadaransky and or Burke there somewhere. Those are the two things I think they need. I guess he would have to look so bad, Mahimi, that they would say, nope, scrap that. If we're going to bite the bullet on, say, Marcus Thornton, that we're adding a big man, boy, how bad would Mahimi have to look for you to say that's what we're going to do? We have our one move, one guy we're going to cut, and instead of going out and getting the hypothetical Garrett Jack or Mario Chambers or Briante Weber, we're going to get some 6'10 big man. I, I don't know. Yeah, and, and I I would go if you hit rewind and go way back to November maybe would one of the things I always tried to talk about was that no matter what bench group it is they need to have some identity and it and if Mahimi is back and then you stick him with say Ubre and then you have a Weber type and then okay so these guys are out there to play very good defense and run the offense through Markeith, which is what they're doing anyway with the second unit. But at least you have some sense of this is what our unit does. And tonight, once again, we saw there is no this is what our unit does. It's We, we need desperately need Markeith to be able to score with the second unit. If not, we're dead meat. And we saw that tonight when Trey Burke was oddly telling people to go away when Brandon Ingram had switched on him. That guy's way too long to shoot over, and he had a shot, jump shot blocked. Uh, and then he was caught in the corner, and Oubre was just standing on the perimeter, and Markeith Morris wasn't making shots, and there was actually a capable body you know, on his back with Tarek Black at times, even with the second unit. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was really bad. That short stretch tonight was really bad. And we had Sadoransky just kind of not sure where he is. He, he's not straight up just the point guard, and then there's a little small forward mixed in, and he's, he's in between as well. Um, so wh- whatever they think they're going to get from – I don't care what it is, but give that group an identity. Give them one half of the priorities and have them focus on that and be really good at that. I don't care if it's a bunch of scoring and they want to push the ball like crazy or they're just going to be like, hey, we're going to lock it down and grind it out and try to keep everything steady until the starters come back. And if you went that defensive route with this group, I would probably say McClellan, put Sheldon McClellan yes. in over Sadoransky, but then I guess the problem is on the other end, now you're putting Trey Burke essentially to play the point guard. And- I would put – see, I would put – McClellan in over Trey Burke oh. in, in that scenario. I just thought you think, you, think Scott, the point you think Brooks though would go that route? Like I, I, I'm with you, but he, that would be especially if we're talking playoffs. Mm-hmm. We're talking two rookies as your backcourt. Not that yeah. Trey Burke is right. No, I agree. I just think during the playoffs, majority of the time, you're going to see at least two starters on the floor at all times. I mean, there's going to be very limited minutes for an all bench group, so um, or an even four out of five bench group. And so, by the way, to that point, Wall played 41 minutes tonight. Um, you know, they, they because they've been actually blowing teams out lately, they, the starters haven't had to play as insane yeah. minutes. But, you know, if he's got to play 41 minutes, you, you know, you start worrying long haul. Where does that where does that uh, leave you? Um, all right. Uh, a couple last things. You talked to uh, Otto Porter, and he said what? He said he was not asked to participate in the three-point contest and then kind of – 
said he wasn't real interested. I asked him, would you want to do that if if they asked you? He's like, I wasn't too interested. Uh, that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> um, and that's a bad auto impression. But I think, as you know, like that's kind of you can see him saying that. Yeah. Um, so that was that. Did you see? Did you were you out there yet in the game when they had Otto on the jumbotron, essentially doing karaoke to that song from "Let It Go" from Frozen? Uh, no, and no. I think I was still writing about Elena Whew. Deladon at the time. Whew, that was something. Oh yeah, I, I should have mentioned that earlier. But yeah, Elena Deladon, the Mystics got her. Well, we talked about that. I'm going to do a podcast with somebody <laughs> on this. Of course you are. Ah, come that's a big deal. Even you, are, you, even no, no, you showed up today to, to, to talk about it. Well, you know I'm a basketball fool, so you bring a good basketball player to town, I'm happy to write about that. All right, so that'll be coming for those of you who care about the Mystics, and you should at least on this front. Uh, Otto Poor also said what he, his, his back was a little sore? Uh, he didn't talk to the group. Uh, Scott Brooks said that his back was okay. a little sore. That's the reason he's on the spin bike. Uh, in between, when he's when he's not on the floor, just to keep him warm. So a little a little sore back, a little hip. He still played thirty eight minutes. The, the the back is from what how's he he's explained it to me. The 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 back pain is the byproduct of the hip tightness. The back is, pain is connected to the hip bone. Exactly. I <laughs> um, still. I mean, he hasn't had the last couple of games. He hasn't been robust scoring. He still hit three threes tonight. Fifty percent from three, which I believe makes that stat now fifteen and two in games where he. Um, hits at least three threes. I believe Wallen Beal took just over what did they forty one point seven percent. They went just over for that part of my uh, stat. But you know what? This was a game where they needed that to happen because John. Yeah, Wallen- the only reason it went over is because <laughs> the game was tied, and John was like, "Oh man, I better do something." Yeah. So, yeah, he started shooting quite a bit. Well, way to screw up my stats, John. Thanks a lot for nothing. Um, all right, that's all I got. You got any uh, final thoughts, or would you like me to let you leave? I was, uh, I'd like you to let me leave, but I was also amused by Bradley Beal's track down block on D'Angelo Russell. He swatted it off of the backboard, and then Gortat took a charge right afterward. So there was a timeout, and Beal turned and looked at D'Angelo Russell and gave him a salute, which had, gave me flashbacks to the waving goodbye at Kyle Lowry when he fouled out in the playoffs <laughs> up in Toronto. Um <laughs> Some of these little side things that we've seen Beal do, uh, that was kind of amusing, not because I prefer a side, but just it was interesting to see with his kind of in-front-of-the-camera personality a couple of these things going on uh, off to the side there. Absolutely. All right, I have more to say, but at some point you got to cut these things off. So, Todd, as always, appreciated. Thanks, you guys, for listening. As always, you can find all the podcasts on iTunes. Uh, you can find us on Twitter, at Wizards at Ben Standig or at Todd underscore Divis. And, of course, we'll read whatever Todd writes in the Washington Times. Uh, it is worth your time. Just, if nothing else, just click the page open and leave it open, even if you don't read it. Todd would appreciate just, that much. Just click the ads, people, for God's sake. We know you don't want to subscribe. Just click a damn ad. <laughs> All right. On that note, we'll catch you guys later. See ya. Everybody just Deal. Gets open for three. Dagger! Is that the new iPhone? Yeah, got it on T-Mobile. Fastest iPhone deserves America's fastest LTE network. 
Introducing the amazing iPhone 8. It's the best iPhone yet, now on America's best unlimited network. For a limited time, save up to $300 on the amazing iPhone 8 after 24 monthly bill credits. And now join T-Mobile's iPhone upgrade program for free. Eligible trade-in and finance agreement required. If you cancel service, you may lose promo credits. Contact us for details. Video at 480p. Small fraction of users over 50 gigs per month may have reduced speed. See store for details.